Good evening, everyone. It's an honor to be here with you tonight. I, um, I just had the opportunity to spend six months in Europe. Is that amazing? And uh, I just want to explain to you a little bit. I was invited to, uh, to go to Germany to participate in a symposium. And they had uh, not only pastors talking about the history of sexuality and LGBT and same-sex attraction, but they also had invited me to be the testimony to talk about my experience uh, coming out of that into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So ironically, you know, I was invited a year and a half earlier, and that's just the way Germans are. They're very organized and they're very ahead of time. And so I thought for sure, as of last March, they would cancel any minute. So then they called me in August and we still were talking, but they still weren't ready to cancel. And then miraculously, just two weeks before I was to speak in Germany, they opened up the borders for the United States to travel to Germany if you had permission from the embassy. So I got to go. So I showed up at the airport with my luggage and my uh, negative COVID test and my passport, and they sent me back home. They said, you don't have permission from the embassy, so you can't fly. So then my pastor wrote a letter. The, uh, the people at the symposium wrote a letter. I wrote a letter, and they still said no. But we asked them, they said, why do you keep saying no? And they said, well, he's not staying for 90 days, so he can't travel. And I said, I've got nothing else going on. I'll stay for 90 days. And so they stamped my passport and off I went. So um, I had to quarantine and test again once I got to Germany, to Stuttgart. And uh, after two days of quarantine, I got a negative test result, and so I was free. So I just want to break this down for you just to share with you how amazing God is. Do you believe that he's amazing? Okay, good. That was much more energetic. Thanks. I appreciate that. So God is so amazing that I traveled to nine countries 14 times. I had nine COVID tests, all negative. I traveled in, oh, in only two days of quarantine in six months. I followed the laws of every country that I went into. Sometimes I had to leave a country early to avoid um, quarantine and mandatory lockdowns. And then other times I had to leave the country to arrive in another country before they would lock down the country. And so the Lord just artfully did that for me. I did planes, trains, public transportation, buses, cars. I spoke in churches, home churches, conferences, and schools in six months. Can you imagine that? Is God amazing? Amen. He's amazing. So um, I want to thank you for this opportunity. And a lot of my roots really do belong here at Heartland College um, Institute. And 20 years ago, I was baptized, and I celebrated my 20-year anniversary walking with Jesus Christ. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing that God can hold somebody together so closely, and it hasn't been an easy journey. I I would beg to, to ask any Christian if your Christian walk is easy. That's right. I didn't think so. So um, 20 years of walking with Jesus Christ, and it's amazing that probably the second year after I was a new Christian, I came here to Heartland Universe, or in, Institute, and I was really moved by the medical missionary message, and it's been a part of my life ever since. I recognize the application of the health message with my own walk in purity and the understanding of that. And so Coming Out Ministries was started 10 years ago with that message in mind to to provide the resources that we were desperate for when we were young people that walked out of Adventist culture and Christianity into the lives of the LGBT community, only to come out 20 years later recognizing that they still were no resources for people like me. So Coming Out Ministries has now been in business for 10 years, going internationally to not only provide these resources, but to equip the church, to educate the church, and to inspire the church about how God's power is still available to people like me as well as to people like you. I think one of the greatest compliments that Coming Out Ministries has received is when somebody comes up to us and they say, you know what, I was never gay, but everything that you shared helped me to understand my own struggle with sin. And uh, Dwayne Lemon actually calls our ministry a present truth ministry, talking about the issues of today. And I think that that's probably, um, to a large extent, why our, our ministry is so popular is because it really is the message of the hour. So I want to thank you again for this opportunity to speak here this weekend. Fasten your seatbelts if those uh, chairs come with a seatbelt at all. Uh, I'm going to take you on a journey. I believe that the Lord will take us all on a journey. 
So tonight I want to talk about the transgender issue, and that is one of the issues that I struggled with. And you know, it was something that was buried so deep in my past that it wasn't until probably about seven or eight years ago that I recognized my own struggle and how that was a part of my uh, testimony as well. So I'm going to take you on a journey through my own personal experience as well as um, touch on where we're at today, the challenges of the church today, but I also want to inspire you at the very end to show you the power of God changing lives. Doesn't that sound exciting? So before I begin, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Here we are, Lord, on a Friday night, and you've been waiting for this opportunity, Lord, to spend time with us, to, to, um, to share with us, to fellowship with us, and to celebrate. So, Lord, we come uh, expecting great, a great celebration, Lord, with you, because this is the time that you promised to set aside with us. So, Lord, take us on this journey. I pray, Lord, that tonight um, that you will send your Holy Spirit, that you will touch the lives of those that are here and also those that are listening. So I pray, Father, that you would also challenge our thinking and some of the thoughts that we may have or prejudices in our heart that we may not have known are there. And I know, Lord, that this message may be challenging for some, but I also pray, Lord, that we'll affirm not only your love and compassion, but also, Lord, your truth, because it's very difficult to live in this world today. And the compromising of the truth is in many churches. But Lord, I pray that you will help us to see how to be compassionate and loving and still uphold the biblical understanding of identity and sexuality in a very difficult world. I thank you, Lord, for what you're about to deliver. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So... I guess you guys can see something. Okay, there it is. All right, good. So I know it's there. So I want to talk about transformed and, again, the transgender issue. It's interesting that in National Geographic, they actually dedicated an entire issue to transgenderism. Now, if you notice underneath these images of this magazine, it has just a sample of some of the different ways that you can identify with. You can identify as non-binary, agender, androgynous, cisgender, gender binary, gender conforming, gender dysphoria, gender expression, gender fluid, gender identity, gender marker, and the list goes on. Did you know that now there's over a hundred different ways that you can identify? Uh, raise your hand if you've even heard of some of these terms. Usually it's people under 30 that their hands go up. So many of our young people are exposed to these terms. Many of us over 30, uh, some of these terms are very uh, unclear to us and confusing. But I want to share with you some of the things that are going on in our world today that you may not be aware of. This is actually um, a video clip of a program uh, that was taking place in the United States. It was talking about the issues of the United States. And I just want you to watch this video. Four. Come on. Five. The way I work out is I like to go, 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 go hard and as fast and strong. This is 32-year-old Ton. And a lot of the guys can't keep up with that. On the surface, Ton is strong and confident. But for years, Ton has struggled with a conflicted sense of self and a secret. Come on, Tanya. Ton was born Tanya, a woman. It's one of the most basic ways of identifying ourselves, male or female. You're either one or the other. But for millions of people, their physical gender doesn't line up with their inner sense of self. They are transgender. Imagine your brain in the opposite gender's body. How would you feel? What would you do? And so this just gives you an example of the transgender issue that is going on in our world today. Um, this is an image on the left that you can see that I got out of a magazine. You're actually looking at a transgender male to female as a picture of a little boy in the inset. This person is making a lot of money giving beauty tips to women on how they can be more feminine. And if you look at this image, in my, in my limited understanding, I would look at that person and think that that's a female. I travel a lot. I was going through the Chicago airport. I've been in the beauty industry for over 30 years as a hairdresser. And so I noticed this ad as I was walking past this makeup counter. And it caught my eye because I, I knew instantly 
that that was not a female in the, in the left-hand part of that ad. I asked the sales clerk, I said, how much makeup are you selling now to men? And she said, it's our number one growing business. And this was a few years ago. So this just helps to give you an idea of how gender is being blurred, how gender is changing in our world today, and how the media is promoting it. This is an image of a young girl named Jamie on the left holding a box of hormones. And she's going to use this injectable medication to actually take in testosterone into her system so that she will transition to become the person that you see on the right. You're not looking at brother and sister. You're actually looking at the same person. Now, this person on the right has never had any surgeries. This is only what the hormones does alone. Uh, Eventually, Jamie did transition, as they call it, to become uh, completely male. But I want to talk about that also. What does it take to change your sex and how effective is that? But I want you to watch this, um, this, uh, this video clip basically showing the transition of Jamie. This is a time-lapse video, and you start to see that uh, Jamie's facial features are starting to look more masculine. You see the development of facial hair starting to come in. Notice the shape of her forehead and her nose, and even the Adam's apple. All of this you're seeing just from the hormones alone. This is without any surgeries. And so I, I ask many young people, especially if I'm presenting at an academy, I said, if that was a guy in your school, would you want to date him, ladies? And would it surprise you if all of a sudden you found out that somebody that you thought was completely male was actually female. Uh, I recently was in Australia a couple years ago, and there was a family that was going to this church, and the family, uh, they had two children that they had adopted from China, and it was a, a mother and a father, and the mother was actually teaching Sabbath school for two years in this church in Australia when they found out that the mother was actually a transgendered male to female. So can you imagine the confusion that this issue is going to bring into the church? And these are very real issues and very real lives. As a matter of fact, as I was growing up, I remember when I got baptized at 40 years old, just 20 years ago, I had two questions for Jesus. My first question was, I want to know why, and my very first thoughts that I was a girl trapped in a boy's body. My second question for Jesus was why at puberty I became same-sex attracted. So I didn't ask for these things. I didn't want those. And yet these were my reality. I relate completely to individuals that believe that they were trapped in the wrong sex. But it wasn't until I came into a relationship with Jesus Christ in my 40s that the Lord started to reveal to me that there were some very real issues that were happening even before I became conscious at the age of four years old. I'd like to explain just a little bit to help you understand what a child goes through. So anyway, before, um, before children are even conscious, children don't even know that they're male or female. They're just kind of ambiguous uh, as far as their identity. But then all of a sudden, between the ages of one and three, developmentally, little boys start to realize, oh, I'm not like mom, I'm more like dad. And in a healthy home, when the kid gets to be about a year old, the father takes the kid and throws him in the air. The mother screams, and the little, the little child, you know, the little boy looks at his father, trusting him, and, and dad catches him and laughs. And then all of a sudden, little boys start to realize that, that dads are exciting and dangerous. And all of this has to happen for healthy male development, because as the boy starts to affirm in masculinity, this helps to shape his identity. So it's kind of like this imprinting. So that's why little boys like to wear baseball caps like their dads. That's why they like to play cops and robbers and they want to be whatever occupation the father is. And all of this is healthy gender identity. So the same thing happens for little girls. Little girls start to realize between the ages of one and three that that they're like their mom. They like to push dolls around in a buggy. They like to bake cookies. And and so there are many ways to identify as a girl. But all of these help the, the girl to identify in femininity. So there's an immutable law that kicks in about puberty, but until then, little girls don't like to play with boys because boys have germs, and little boys don't like to play with girls because, quite frankly, girls are gross. And all of this is just healthy gender identity because the more you're affirmed by your same-sex friends and your same-sex parent, then all of a sudden at puberty, the immutable law kicks in, and the immutable law is this. The sex that is the mystery at puberty becomes the attraction. So when boys are affirmed by other little boys in the neighborhood and by their fathers, and then all of a sudden puberty hits, it's like, aha, what's this sex called girls? And then the same thing has to happen for girls. 
So in my case, it was a little bit different. Actually, I think it was a lot different. My father was in the Navy. My dad was a musician. He went around to many different countries, and sometimes he would be gone as long as six months. So for this little boy who needed my, my masculine role model, he, for many times he was gone. But then when my father was home, he was Italian. He, was, uh, he had a very explosive personality. He was physically abusive as well. And so when my father was home, you know, the home was very different. So in this little boy's mind, between the ages of one and three, when I needed a male role model, he was gone. I had my mother at home and my three sisters, and so I didn't have an example of what masculinity looked like. But then when my father was home and he was angry and loud and raging and abusive, in my immature little subconscious mind, I rejected that. I said, if this is my identity, no thank you. So it's called, it's a clinical term, it's called defensive detachment. So in my defense, I detached from my father as my role model, and so the only example left for me was my mother. So I wanted to be like my mom. She was there for me. She was quiet. She was calm. She was soft. She was gentle. And so I started to imitate those mannerisms even before I was conscious because by the time I was four years old, all of this had taken place. I don't know how I got there, but I do know this. When I was first conscious thoughts at four years old, I knew that I was trapped in the wrong body. I knew it was wrong because I was punished any time that I got caught dressing up in my sister's clothes or playing with dolls. And my father tried. He made several attempts to try to make me a little bit more masculine. My father left the Navy and became a policeman. So my father would take me out to shoot guns, which to me was just more aggressive behavior. And that was what I had rejected was the aggressiveness of masculinity. So then my father would take me and he would take me to where they would attack trained German shepherds. You know, I'm just a six-year-old kid, and what I wanted is I wanted to pet the dogs. I didn't want to see them engaging in such aggressive behavior. So in my mind, anything masculine meant aggression, and that was frightening to me, and I rejected it. So my father's best attempts only pushed me further away from identifying as male. So then as I grew up and as I started to develop more, my mother could see that I had some issues with identity. So my father had left my mother for a Seventh-day Adventist waitress that worked in our family restaurant. And I say, yes, that's how the Adventist message came into my family. God be praised, right? But my mother saw that I was having some struggles at 10 years old, and so my mother gave me my father's pornography magazines. Can you imagine that? My mother thinking that maybe those images would help for me to develop attractions towards female. But instead, because I was already struggling with the rejection of masculinity, I went to school and the boys called me sissy, queer, little girl. And our words have the power of life and death, according to the Bible. And so I didn't want to be those things, but as those boys rejected me and pushed me even further away from identifying as them, as I looked at those images in my father's um, Playboy magazines, I thought to myself, well, if men love these women, then maybe if I look like these women, maybe men would love me too because they don't love me as I am. And so this to me only affirmed again the fact that I needed to change my sex, not only to be loved by men, but also to be accepted by men. Does that make sense? Do you start to see the confusion that comes in? So there are many reasons why people struggle with transgenderism. And I love God in his word because in Deuteronomy where it talks about the abomination of wearing the opposite sex clothing, place, take a special notice of the fact that God does not condemn people that have those attractions or those feelings. He condemns the practice. Do you understand? So again, God wasn't condemning me because I had those feelings. But he said, just don't act on them because they destroy, again, the precious image that God has created in each one of us. Does that make sense? Okay, so what I needed was I needed to be included by the guys. I needed to be affirmed by the guys. So the, by the time puberty came, uh, remember, the immutable law kicks in and the sex that is a mystery becomes the attraction. So because I hung out with the girls and I played with the girls and I had three sisters, as a matter of fact, take a look at this image here. This is me and six of my relatives. Out of seven children, I'm the only boy, and three of them are my sisters, and three of them are my aunties. And so we all grew up together, and there was not one boy in the crowd. So I wanted to fit in, again, being surrounded by femininity. It was just another knot that the devil was putting in the rope of my early development. The re defensive detachment of rejecting my father, the kids in school that called me sissy and queer, and then, of course, being surrounded by girls. So at puberty, the sex that was the mystery for me wasn't women at all. So doesn't it make sense? The immutable law, the sex that is a mystery becomes the attraction. Then that is where I believe the same-sex attraction came from. 
Now, this is basically all clinical evidence, and, and it can be supported by science, but nobody was sharing that with me. Nobody was helping me to understand that there were reasons why I had this. I definitely got the message as a young Christian growing up that God hated people like me and that we were going to burn in a hotter hell. That's basically what I heard in church culture. So as I was growing up, it, the idea of changing my sex was even stronger when it related to Christianity because I thought, well, if God doesn't accept me for who I am, and if I'm same-sex attracted and that's an abomination and I won't make it to heaven, then it made it even stronger in my mind that I had to change my body, that if I became a female, then my attractions would be okay by God and God would be all right. Do you see the confusion that comes in? Does that help you to understand? And so I needed compassion. I also needed some explanations. What I didn't need was censure and judgment and rejection because I'd had plenty of that. So again, then at 20 years old, I was done with Christianity and religion and God, and he didn't change me. I tried to do everything that I possibly could to be this man of God, but it wasn't working for me. And so at 20 years old, I walked out of Christianity into the gay culture, and they had their arms open wide. At 20 years old, coming into the gay culture, again, still thinking that the only way that I would be loved is if I was a female, but I noticed something different. In the gay culture, masculinity is much more valuable than femininity. So I learned very early that if I wanted attention from men, which was my problem, beginning with my father and the kids in school, if I wanted attention from men, if I acted more masculine, and if I worked out in the gym, I found that I got all the attention from men that I desired. And I never struggled with transgender ideation again. Now today they have laws to protect children like me. And what that means is basically if I came to my teacher or if I came to um, my pastor or, or anyone that's in the, uh, the system, that I could say that, yes, I'm a girl trapped in a boy's body. And I would have said that at six years old. If I knew what was available uh, today back then, I would have been standing first in line for that sex change. So at six years old, I could have professed that I was a girl trapped in a boy's body. And the government will step in against the will of my parents and they will start giving me these hormone blockers that are going to block me from going through the puberty process so that by the age of 14 or 15, I could actually have the sex change that I desire. Problem solved, right? No. Because remember, at 20 years old, all of a sudden I was okay with my masculine parts and I never struggled with transgenderism again. But can you imagine the damage if I would have mutilated my body so that I could never have returned back to being a male again, all because of these laws that allow children to determine what sex they are? Listen, I don't know about you, but when I was six years old, I didn't even know what my favorite color was. It changed from day to day. How can we entrust children to determine what sex they are? Does that make sense? But again, that doesn't excuse us as a Christian community in lacking compassion and understanding. And I think that that's something that we're going to talk about also as well. So again, more emasculation and degrading uh, comments from the kids, which led me even further away from masculine development and identity. So now in our world today, we have this term called non-binary. And basically that means that, that I am not trapped into male or female, not defined by my biology. So this gentleman, he believes that on Tuesday he can dress as a woman, and then maybe on Thursday he feels like dressing as a man. And all of this is about how gender is fluid and he, that he can move easily back and forth. I was invited six years ago to speak in Austria. And while I was in Austria, this is the gentleman that actually won the Song of the Year in the European, uh, it's called Eurovision Song of the Year. What was amazing is that I spent 20 years in the gay culture and I saw many men dressed like this. I was shocked myself to see it embraced and also to see it celebrated in the European Union. The European Union, we're talking about 10 different countries that are all inclusive, and this was the person that they were celebrating. So that even helped to open up my eyes even more about this, this, uh, this switch of gender identity in the media. While I was there, the uh, head of the education department at um, Bogenhofen, which is a seminary college in Austria, she handed me this YouTube video. As a matter of fact, feel free to take pictures of any of the slides that you see tonight because there's some really powerful uh, videos that I think will also help to explain even more detail some of the things that I'm sharing tonight. But the man that was in charge of the sex education for the European Union, this is the promotion of what he was wanting to implement in sex education for the European Union. And this is six years ago. So imagine for people living in Europe, they were definitely 
frightened about what could happen. So from zero to four years old, they want to teach children lustful masturbation. From four to six, they want to teach children homosexual practice, where the teacher will actually step out of the room so the children are uninhibited. Six to nine years old, even before puberty, they want to teach them contraception. Then from nine to 12 years old, they want to teach them gender orientation so that ultimately, once they've learned everything about sex between the ages of 12 and 15, they can teach children how to abuse each other sexually. This is not just an issue that's in the European Union. It's an issue that's all over the world. Australian Christian Lobby condemns Sydney school rainbow politics for allowing male students to wear female uniforms. Boys can now wear skirts to school in Puerto Rico. Even in Australia, choose your gender. Parents blast the Barmy Council for telling kids as young as four years old to pick the sex that they identify with. I don't know if you're aware. I, hopefully, maybe you're not. If you've gotten rid of your televisions, which I did about 18 years ago, but there's actually a commercial on television where a famous uh, singer actually goes into a nursery and all of the blue and pink babies are changed uh, magically into black, tan, and white little baby outfits so that gender is neutral and that the, um, you can't tell the difference between the boys and the girls. All of this is a media promotion to break down our understanding of the two kinds that God created, male and female. So it's the end of boys and girls. These companies are going to change how your kids dress. And this, um, this article is actually about five years old, old. And so we can already see in society how that's changing. I want to play for you this video clip, this video clip about a young girl who also identifies as non-binary. And she explains what non-binary is. But I want you to listen to the contradictions that she makes herself. And we'll point those out once we're done. Take a watch. The single most common question I get asked is, are you a boy or are you a girl? The simple answer is no. But then the response after that is usually a very confused, what? So here is the explanation. I am non-binary, and that means I identify as something other than male or female. Our society and history has led us to believe over thousands of years that there are only people who are male and people who are female. But that is because past society has based gender on physical sex. Let me see what it is, nurse. <laughs> ah, yes, what a strapping young lad. <laughs> it's outdated. The truth is that gender is in the brain, and physical sex is a completely separate and different thing that is private to every individual. What people really mean when they're asking the boy or girl question is creepily, So, what genitals do you have? People need to realize it doesn't matter what living meat skeleton you've been born in, it's what you feel that defines you. Non-binary is a blanket term for anyone who identifies out with the binary gender. There are endless ways of being non-binary and no two people identify in the same way. So just remember, gender is what you feel, not what your parts are. Don't be afraid to be yourself. Bye guys. Did you see the contradiction in that? So I'm not identified by my biology, which is how we identify ourselves, but rather I'm defined by what I feel inside, right? So don't be afraid to be who you are. But again, my biology tells me who I am. And, and even if the biology isn't enough to help you understand who you are, we have something that's called a DNA. Our DNA is our inside fingerprint. And no matter what we do to the outside, by the way, the Bible says man judges the outside, but God judges the heart. Isn't that right? So even our DNA says who we are, male or female. So the contradictions in this, and what I found so sad is that, remember, our gender identity is a gift from God, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But when she reduced this precious gift that God has given to us as our living meat skeleton, did you hear that? She, that's what she calls it. When we are no longer defined by our living meat skeleton, but, but by what's in our mind, that's how we identify. So I, I saw a lot of contradictions in that, and I think that it's a very powerful tool to show the confusion of what's going on in our society today. I was looking on Amazon, and I found some books for some preschoolers. These are books that are directed towards children even before they go to school. This is a book called Jacob's New Dress, and we'll talk a little bit more about that tomorrow evening. But Jacob is seen here in the book. He's standing on the landing uh, in front of his father in his new dress. And all of this is designed to educate our children even before they get to school to help shape what identity and gender really is. Here's another book. 
This is called My Princess Boy. This is basically talking about the princess boy has a cool brother. His brother plays baseball and soccer, and his brother dances with My Princess Boy. My Princess Boy loves his brother. Talks about his father. His dad tells My Princess Boy how pretty he looks in a dress. His dad holds his hand and tells him to twirl. My Princess Boy smiles and hugs his dad. Talks about the princess boy has playdates with boys and girls. He likes to play dress up. He likes to change clothes a lot. He wears a green ballet leotard and dances with his friends. All of this, again, is designed to teach our children before they even enter the school system about how flexible and changeable identity is. So we have a propaganda going on in the media. The next video is a propaganda that's basically geared towards the Caribbean. Because in the Caribbean, it's still very negative to be LGBT. A lot of LGBT, LGBT people are, um, many times they're beat up. Some of them are actually killed in a society that it's very intolerant. And while that is wrong, of course, but the idea is if you take their sports athlete, their idol, and if you dress him up in a dress, then what it does is it slowly breaks down these prejudices and helps to usher in the certain media. Take a look famous sports icons on the planet, such as Hussein Bolt, who is sponsored by Virgin. If this man can electrify the planet in a space of nine seconds and send his home country, Jamaica, into a frenzy when he wins a race, many are aware that his native island is not tolerant of the LGBTI agenda at all. I don't care who walks support sex. I don't So to break them down, if you just cleverly adorn their icon in a dress, it will slowly break down any resistance. Only those who understand advertising and media are fully aware of how it works. Just read Edward Bernays propaganda book published in nineteen twenty eight. And he advised corporations to use famous icons to promote an agenda, even if they are not fully aware of what they are doing. So Madonna was interviewed back in the early 80s. And they asked Madonna, they said, why do you put so many references to homosexuality in your music videos? And her response was this. She said, well, at first, you know, people will be disgusted. She said, but some people will be aroused. But after people see it over and over again, eventually it'll be no big deal. Isn't that interesting that even Madonna understood the power of the media and look where we are 40 years later in society and, and in television, how the promotion of LGBT characters is very commonplace now. I want to share with you the story. This is an actual family. Uh, Ted was the father of these two children and also the husband of his wife. You can see the picture there on the, on the right-hand side of Ted and his wife. So Ted eventually did transition to be the female that he, has, that he states that he's become on the top left pro picture, and you can see him there with his wife. And, and I want to point out the fact that Ted definitely, you know, is somebody that deserves our compassion. You know, his situation is very difficult, but he's not the only victim in this story. You know, they, they have two biological male children, and now these two male biological children no longer have a male example of how to pattern and how to be masculine. As a matter of fact, the wife now no longer has a husband that she can uh, share in a relationship. Even though they live in the same house, they are now in separate bedrooms raising their two sons. The confusion that has come from this family is the two boys at Mother's Day, they bring home a Mother's Day card and they basically just put it on the table and they say, we don't know who to give it to, so here it is. Can you imagine the damage that is happening in this family just because of Ted's situation? And while I want to acknowledge the fact that Ted definitely, you know, uh, has some issues going on, but imagine now what is created for the family unit. This is another family. This is a family with a secret. This is the mother and father of these two biological children. Also, they have two boys. And so would it surprise you to know that Bianca, the mother, used to be a boy named Jason, and Nick, who is the father, used to be a little girl named Nicole. So what happened is the two parents were transgender. They both went off their hormones. And so the mother actually impregnated the father not once but twice, and they bore these two children. And so again, wherever I play this video, I, I automatically look to see your reaction, and, and there is a, a fairly strong reaction. But then the next question is, if we're not going to change this, if this is what's happening in the world, then what would happen if this family showed up at your church? 
What if this family wanted to know Jesus Christ? And what about these children? Would they be allowed to come and play with your children in Sabbath school? Would you allow this family to come to your house? Would you share a meal with them? And so I want to challenge our natural prejudice as Christians, you know, saying that we're loving individuals, but are we really loving enough to see past our own prejudices, to see them as people who the blood of Jesus has been shed for as well? And if the blood of Jesus was shed for them, are we doing our due diligence when a family like this comes into our church? Are we willing to embrace them and to love them? I want to tell you of a, um, some research that was done in Chicago. And what they did is they basically went to the streets of Chicago and they asked people that were secular and they, they were atheists by nature. And so uh, they would ask them, they'd say, what comes to your mind when I say the name Jesus Christ? And they would hold the microphone up to them. And the people would say, Jesus is loving. Jesus is fair. Jesus is kind. Jesus is unselfish. They understood who Jesus is, even as atheists, Right. But then they would ask the same people. They'd say, so what comes to your mind when I say Christian? And their response was hateful, unkind, unloving, unfair, hypocrites. So isn't it interesting that they knew exactly who Jesus was? But look at the reputation that we have as Christians. And unfortunately, the reason why I walked out of Christianity at 20 years old was because I couldn't find the answers that I was desperate for because instead what I heard was that I was going to burn in a hotter hell than everybody else. I never heard the pastor talk kindly or compassionately about the type of people that I was attracted to and the type of person that I was. And so even in our indifference, even in our comments that we make when we think nobody's listening, trust me, there may be somebody within your, your uh, range that can hear you that may be struggling with some issues that you're not aware of. So some of the issues that we're dealing with now in the church, uh, there was a woman who came to me. She was sexually active with a man that worked in a prison, and she had four children. She was an Adventist, and she called me on the phone, and she said, it wasn't until after I had been sleeping with this guy that he confessed that he wasn't a man at all, that he's really a woman. And, and she said, am I gay because I slept with someone that I thought was a man that's really a woman? Can you see the confusion here? And then the second story about a mother who was concerned that her son who became her daughter was lost. So here's the situation. And some of you may not know this. Did you know that just because somebody is transgender doesn't mean that they have same-sex attraction? Does that make sense? Because how I see myself is different than how, who I find sexually attractive. All right? So there are just as many heterosexual transgenders as there are homosexual transgenders. So what that means is that if, if a person is biologically born male and they're attracted to the opposite sex, if they have a sex change, they may appear female, but they're still male in their DNA. And so there was nothing wrong with their attractions, right? Do you see that? Even if they still continue to be attracted to women, it doesn't make them gay because they change their sex. So this is a situation whose mother had a son that was suicidal. He was also heterosexual. He had a five-year-old son that called him dad. So the mother paid for him to go to Thailand to have a sex change. When he returned, his son still called him daddy. And so he's still attracted to females. And so the mother thought that his salvation was in jeopardy because now that he's a female, he should be attracted to males. Is that confusing for any of you? Because it's really difficult to even say that correctly. But again, this is some of the situations that are happening in our denomination. A 13-year-old transgender child wanted to go to summer camp. And so they called the, the camp officials, and the camp officials were stunned by the quest, request that the parents wanted this child, the 13-year-old boy, to be able to stay on the girl's side. Now, what that means is that the parents have already painted this child's room pink, filled his closet with lots of pretty dresses. And so was the camp going to force this child to dress as a male and put him on the male side and expose him to taunts and teasing by the kids? Or was it, were they going to allow this boy to stay on the girl's side and then expose the girls to seeing male genitalia that they shouldn't see? And if they would have taken this child and put him in a separate cabin by himself, that's considered discrimination and against the law. So these are some of the issues that our church is dealing with today. Anyone aware of Bruce Jenner? I remember when I was 15 years old, Bruce was the best athlete in the entire world. Through the Olympics, he had won the gold medal. For the decathlon, he was considered the best male athlete in the world. And I remember seeing him on my Wheaties cereal box. And I remember thinking at 15, if I could just be as masculine as Bruce. 
And so as I grew up, again, understanding the struggle, and Bruce then eventually became Caitlyn Jenner, which of course, because of his history with the Olympics and being the strongest athlete, now all of a sudden he's transitioned to be woman of the year, according to some magazines, he's now very popular. And being in the beauty industry, this is who Caitlyn is on the right, but I want to explain to you what it takes for Bruce to become Caitlyn. Being in the beauty industry for over 30 years, it was my responsibility and job and my, my profession to help women become more beautiful and more feminine. And so let me break this down, what it cost Bruce to transition. Now, many years ago, Bruce had a nose job to make his nose appear more feminine. He also had his forehead and his Adam's apple shaved so that it would also make him appear more female. He had electrolysis done completely all over his body to remove his body hair. And eventually he had breast implants put in to make his chest appear female. And a few years ago, he did have his male genitalia mutilated to make it appear female. And I use the word mutilation because it's not functional as a woman's parts are functional, but instead it may give it the appearance, but there really is very limited functionality to them. Not only does he have to take the hormones for the rest of his life, hormones that will also decrease his life expectancy, but did you know that these hormones also increase your rates of cancer? So now Bruce also has to take cancer-resisting drugs for the rest of his life with the hormones. And can you imagine what happens when you take a body that produces testosterone and you throw a storm of estrogen at it? Can you imagine the emotional problems that come with it as well? And we're going to talk about the, the suicide risk as well with transgenders. But now they have to be on uh, antidepressants for the rest of their life as well. All so that he can be his natural self. Does that make sense? Do you see the contradiction in terms there? And so in the beauty industry, this would cost thousands, if not millions of dollars for Bruce to become what you see on the right. And this is anything, in my opinion, other than natural. So again, this is his new normal. And we're supposed to accept this as the new way of people expressing themselves in the opposite sex. And um, I want to share with you this video clip about the trans issue in sports. Has anyone heard that recently? It's been a big, a big issue recently. And I want to play, play for you this video clip, and I think it'll help to explain some of the contradiction within women's sports of transgenderism. This debate, this video, is about women's sport and what constitutes fair competition. It's not about whether or not transgender people should be allowed to use certain bathrooms or if they should be able to join gender-specific non-competitive clubs, etc. In a nutshell, I find the arguments and logic that currently permit transgender women to compete against biological women to be remarkably flawed, and I'm convinced that unless quickly <coughs> rectified, this will kill women's sport. The transgender woman Rachel McKinnon is the UCI Masters Track Championships women's 35 to 44 sprint gold medalist. The transgender woman Laurel Hubbard won the 2017 Australian International Women's Weightlifting 90 kilo and over division. And the transgender woman Hannah Mouncey competed in the AFL Victoria's Women's League. This is, so far as it stands, why I believe it is unfair to allow transgender women to compete against biological women. I have no problem with them being a girl and wanting to be a girl. My issue is with CAC. So the top six spots qualify for the New England meet, and I came in eighth place, and the two transgender athletes came one and two. So if they weren't there, then my friend and I from another school would have been in those two spots and would have qualified. And so here we have a very real example of a young, talented woman losing a potential scholarship and career due to this issue. Or as Joe Rogan eloquently puts it, It's like, do you know a woman who's got a hand that looks like that? <laughs> yeah. Find one. Find one. Because if I took estrogen, I'd still have these. Mm -hmm. And that's not fair. Yeah. It's just not. I don't care. I don't care what anybody says. The assertion that reducing a transgender woman's testosterone to that of the average biological woman will create a level playing field is objectively, scientifically, bogus. So I want to transition now for just a moment and to talk about what is it like for people if they reject the transition of going from one sex to the opposite sex. And I want to share with you um, a little bit of Daisy Shadra's uh, testimony about how these thoughts inside of her head as a little girl wanting to be a boy. And I think it helps you to understand some of the dilemma of what children go through when uh, they are struggling with identity issues. But I think that Daisy also explains very eloquently um, the confusion and, and what the, the medical community was doing for her as well. 
So this is, you're actually looking at Daisy, a biological female who was on the hormones, and you can tell a difference in her voice, you can tell a difference in some of her mannerisms, but she's actually transitioning back to become the female that she was biologically born into. And I remember telling some of these people, usually obliquely, that I, that I regret it. Because the thoughts were tormenting me so much, I had to tell someone. Like I said, I was in hell. Like, every single day, didn't think I was going to make it past 30. Couldn't, could not see a future as a trans man or as a woman. Like, my future was just null and void. It was unlike any depression I've ever felt before. It was like staring into an abyss where your future should be. Yeah, I was in agony. Usually with depression, you're, you're kind of, you're numb, you have a lack of joy. But this was like I was walking around on fire every single day. And, and I think that's really important to understand what a transgender person is going through. Because again, as Christians, we should be divinely compassionate toward anybody and their issue. But again, to uphold the truth is a challenge, I think, in, in our day and age. Because many times, upholding the truth of Jesus Christ is now considered hate speech. How is it that the love of Jesus and the, and the fact that he gave us the identities that we have is considered hate speech? And yet that's what's happening in our Christian community. Uh, this is a video clip. You may, may want to take a picture of the screen because I'm not going to be able to share with you a lot of this video because I want to make sure that we get through the, uh, the real important stuff. But take a listen for a little bit. All right, second up, we're going to be talking about the Tavistock case. Now, this is a British High Court decision that is changing the conversation on gender dysphoria and the treatment of transgenderism in young people. It's called Tavistock versus, for the Americans, versus Bell. For the English and Australians, Tavistock and Bell. There's a different way of saying it. Uh, it's a High Court case out of the UK, etc. And it was actually handed down in December, but it's a big enough deal that I knew that I had to return to it at some point and deal with it in detail and explain to you what it's all about. What is Tavistock? It's a gender clinic, officially a gender identity development service. It's for children under the age of 18. The clinic administers puberty blockers to children as young as 10. It prescribes cross-sex hormones to children as young as 16. And it progresses with gender reassignment surgeries for adolescents from the, or for um, young people from the age of 18. An important point is this. Children are required to consent to their own therapies under the Tavistock principles and the way that it works and the way that these clinics work in general. The question before the court, therefore, was can children even consent to those therapies? Do they have the capacity? Good question. So I want to look now at the exceptionally high suicide risks of the transgender population. This is a study that was actually done in favor, in support of transgender medicine, and they found that 41% of transgender people will attempt suicide, and that's close to half. And they found that a staggering 30% of transgenders will commit suicide. That's a third of a population of people. These are the highest rates of suicide among any group of people. John Hopkins University actually shut down their transgender reassignment surgery uh, clinic because they found that the surgeries did not give these men and women the sex changes that they desire. However, you're not going to hear that in the media. There is a promotion of acceptance, and therefore these damaging reports are not something that are going to leak into the media anytime soon. But I want to share with you the story of a woman named Nancy who became Nathan. She lived in Belgium, and because of the uh, psychological suffering that she went through when she saw her post-surgery body, she was allowed to die by lethal injection because of the um, unbearable suffering that she had gone through. Can you imagine that? And so here again is a life that was, was assisted with a suicide by the government because she transitioned from being female to male. This is what we're dealing with, folks, and there are a lot of people that are actually what we call detransitioning, meaning going back to their original sexes. But now that we've discovered the situation in the world, and we've also talked about the situation of what's coming and what is not going to change, I want to address this from a spiritual aspect, and I want to tell you the amazing things that God can do. Isn't that a good way to end? All right, and so I want to share with you the story of a man named Walt Heyer. He has a website called tradingmysorrows.com. If you go to his website, it has a lot of statistics. It also uh, talks about Walt Heyer's story. He was a little boy who was dressed up by his grandmother from birth. She wanted a little granddaughter, and so she dressed up Walt in a little dress until he was seven years old when their secret was discovered. But by then, Walt already understood that his only value to his grandmother was as a girl. 
And so this helped to push him even further into the rejection of his masculine identity. At the age of 13, he was molested by his uncle, which again was emasculating, which only sent him further into the uh, transgender ideation that he developed. He was not homosexual. He was married. He had children. He had a job at NASA as an engineer, very successful. But at 40 years old, he went to a therapist that uh, told him that he had gender dysphoria and helped to transition him to become a female, as you see in the middle two pictures. Now, he said that living as Laura, at first it gave him everything that he thought he desired. It gave him this immense um, pleasure that he thought that he had actually changed his sex. He said, but after the honeymoon period wore off, he realized that these disfiguring surgeries did not give him the sex change that he desired, but rather that he was trapped in this identity that he couldn't, relieve, that he couldn't leave. And so uh, his wife left him. His job fired him. He was living homeless in the streets. He was alcoholic, ready to take his life when somebody introduced him to Jesus Christ. At that point, even though he was still living as Laura, he realized that this was not who God had created him to be. And so he had as many of the surgeries reversed as he physically could have. But he's now been living as a male for the last 30 years. He's married to uh, his wife and he has an amazing, um, an amazing testimony. We were able to interview him twice for 3ABN's Pure Choices. And those are uh, on the website as well. So what's next, brothers and sisters? We know that in the Garden of Eden, when God pronounced all things very good, then marriage and the Sabbath had their origin, twin institutions for the glory of God in the benefit of humanity. That which the Eternal Father himself has pronounced good was the law of highest blessing and development for man. So if these are the two institutions that were established in the Garden of Eden, and now we know that marriage is under attack through the LGBT, uh, not only promotion and legislation, Ellen White says that when one twin is under attack, the other one is soon to follow. What if God were watching us to determine how we handled the marriage being under attack to also understand how we would respond when the Sabbath is under attack? Is that interesting? So again, um, I'm going to skip some slides for the sake of time. This is actually a picture of a young boy. He was six years old. He went to his mother and said that he was a girl trapped in a boy's body. His mother was single. She took him to the doctor, which uh, diagnosed her son with gender dysphoria. So they started putting him on the hormones. He naturally, uh, from the hormones, started to grow female breasts. He didn't develop facial hair. His facial features started to become more feminine. His Adam's apple didn't appear. His voice stayed up high. And so then at 14 years old, this young man came to his mother and he said, I've made a mistake. I am not a girl. I am a boy. And so the mother, of course, stopped these hormones and of course, they, they still have inconclusive evidence about what these hormones do when not only you give them to adults for the rest of their life, but what happens when you start giving prepubescent children these hormone blockers that are going to change their lives forever, right? So again, this little boy stopped the, sur or stopped the hormones, but now he has to surgically remove the breasts and he has to go to a voice coach to learn how to talk with a deeper voice, all because we allow children to determine their gender. This is a slide of uh, Quentin Van Meter. He is an MD. He's on the board of American College of Pediatricians. You do not want to miss this video. It talks about the fraud of transgender medicine. It also implicates um, Alfred Kinsey, who was the researcher back in the 40s and 50s that determined that our identities are according to our sexual preferences rather than by the two kinds that God made, male and female. And we'll talk about that a little bit more tomorrow. This is another video clip of a pediatrician talking about the transgender politi politics that even against medicine, that medicine is now having to change their ways because of the promotion of LGBT acceptance. Uh, there's a Seventh-day Adventist emergency room doctor who works in San Francisco, and he told me a couple of years ago that they're no longer allowed to ask the sex of a patient. So if somebody comes in with prostate cancer and you cannot ask what sex that patient is, can you imagine how much longer it's going to take to not only diagnose them, but then to treat them? So, you know, as far as uh, medical science going forward and moving forward, being able to rapidly address situations and to give people healing, imagine how much further this is going to put back the medical community, again, because we don't have the right to ask people their biological sex. But God is very clear, and God is very specific. God is the author of peace and not confusion, right? 
And so again, did you know that actually mothers produce a different type of milk recipe for boys than they do for girls? Isn't that amazing? That mothers produce a different biological recipe for sons and daughters. Breast milk is customized according to the sex of the baby. I find God remarkable in that. Is transgenderism a form of rebellion? And again, as you read these quotes, I want you to remember that I was not rebelling against God when I thought that I was a girl trapped in a boy's body. However, it is a rejection of the gift of God, and we're going to talk about that even more specifically tomorrow. But in Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, The woman shall not wear that which pertains unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Did you hear that? I wasn't an abomination to God because I felt like I was trapped in the wrong body. But when my aunt teased my hair like a little girl in the bathroom, that was an abomination. When we dress up our little boys in little girl clothes and we parade them around the living room, that's an abomination, even though you might think it's cute. But can you imagine the thoughts that you're putting in that little boy's mind as you allow him to parade around in his sister's clothing or the mother's clothing? And the same thing for little girls, allowing them to dress up as little boys. We're putting these seeds inside their mind because when my aunt would tease my hair, she didn't know that I was struggling with these thoughts and feelings. And when I saw my hair styled as a little girl, it gave me this immense feeling that maybe one day I could actually be convincing as a little girl. I want to end tonight with what I think is the most profound expression of God's abilities. And I think that a lot of times we forget the power of God to transform and to change lives. And many times what I heard is that gays can't change. And we're going to talk about that as well tomorrow. But this is a picture, or these are pictures of my friend Ray. Ray was born biologically a little girl named Marissa, but she wanted to be called Ray. And she would hear the voice of Ray in her head. And the voice of Ray would say, you know what? You shouldn't have soft skin and breasts. You need to have muscles and facial hair. And so as she was identifying by the name of Ray, as a little girl, her parents weren't religious. She was allowed to wear Spider-Man and Superman underwear. She would go to school. Her parents were, uh, were violent drug addicts. And so many times she would wake up, there'd be blood on the walls. And one of her parents would be in jail and the other one in a hospital. So she had a very difficult time in her home life. But then when she went to school, she was molested by boys and girls on the playground. So Marissa learned early on that femininity was a liability. And so to protect herself, she would dress up in boys' clothing. And this actually helped her to, to ward off some of the attacks that she was experiencing. But what that did is that promoted this idea that she should become more masculine, and that way she would be safe. So as she grew up, she was 16 years old. She was in her first relationship with a woman living as a man. And this desire to become completely male was very strong by the voice of Ray that she heard in her head. She decided that she was going to move to Seattle, Washington, where she could have a sex change. She was approved to go on the hormones. She would have to live as a male for two years before she could actually have the surgeries, but that was fine. She now was on the road to having the change that she desired. But then all of a sudden, this dark depression came in. This depression to the point where she couldn't even get up out of bed, even though she was approved for the hormones. She couldn't even make it to her therapy appointments. And this voice inside of her head that she heard, that she called Ray, would say, you know what? You're so pathetic, no one will ever love you. You should just kill yourself. And the thoughts of suicide were so strong in her head, she reached out and she called the only person that she thought could help her. All of her friends had abandoned her, but there was one friend when she was a kid that she called that knew her as Marissa. And for the first time in many years, she left her name. She said, hi, this is Marissa, but don't call me that. And she said, I'm really struggling. I'm feeling like taking my life. I don't want to live. And her friend was a Christian. And her friend called her back and she said, Marissa, or she said, come to me. She said, I'll call you Ray, whatever you want. I just want you to live. And so instead of arguing about who she was and what, you know, abomination she was creating and how she was going to burn in hell, her friend just wanted her to live. And she said, come to me. And Ray said, well, I don't have the money for a plane ticket. So her friend paid for the ticket and a three-day visit turned into three months. Because Ray knew that any time that she would have gone back earlier, she would have completed the suicide attempt. And so while she was living at her friend's house in Colorado, her friend would make her breakfast. She'd take her on walks. She'd help her to brush her teeth and to take baths. And during that time, she was just praying over her friend. And so as she was praying for her friend, she wasn't judging her. She didn't condemn her. She was loving her. But she was praying for her. And you know, Ellen White says that prayer moves the arm of omnipotence. I don't think that any one of us have the arm of omnipotence in this room. And so those prayers have value. 
And the reason why I stand in front of you today is because I had three sisters that were praying for me. I wasn't praying for myself. I wanted nothing to do with a God that I thought wanted nothing to do with me. But because they prayed, I stand in front of you. And so as, as Ray's friend was praying for her, then all of a sudden Ray had this thought in her head. She said, you know what? I've never prayed before. God, how do you see me? And the next thought inside of Ray's mind was this beautiful woman with long flowing hair in a long dress, just praising God. And she said, that's not me. And she immediately dismissed that thought. But she did start to read the word of God. And as she started to open up the word of God, she found Psalms 139. In Jeremiah, it talks about how even before the earth was formed, that God knew her. And that it says in Psalms 139 that God pursues us, that his thoughts towards us are as countless as the sands on the seashore. And whether we go up high or down low, whether we go into darkness or light, it's all the same to God. And because of this love, he blessed us. It says in, in verse 14 that he knew who we were even before the earth was formed and that he knit our delicate inward parts together in our mother's womb. And that was the affirmation that Ray needed to affirm the fact that she was not created to be a boy, that she was created to be a girl. And as she started to embrace the word of God and his love, it wasn't like a switch on the wall that she could just flip and all of a sudden she's a girl. But what she did do, the only thing she could do is she started to allow her hair to grow out. And as her hair started to grow longer, she started to replace some of the items in her clothing. And so she now embraces the woman that God created her to be. Would you like to see what she looks like today? No, I don't think you do. Oh, okay. Here you go. Here is Marissa today. I love your reaction. And I want to point out again, you know, being from the beauty industry, what it costs for Marissa to look like this. It costs her absolutely nothing. No expensive hormones it would have to shorten her life or increase her rates of suicide or depression. Uh, she didn't have to have any surgeries to mutilate her body to make it appear this way. And the smile that you see on her face cost absolutely nothing to her, but it cost Jesus Christ everything. What she embraced is she embraced the gift of what Jesus gave to us on that cross. And by embracing that, it had a transforming power in her life. And this is why she looks the way she does here today. You see, brothers and sisters, as Christians, it's our solemn and privileged opportunity to not only tell people the truth, but to do it in such a way that, that draws them. I, I heard a saying recently, it said, you know what, Jesus doesn't drive, he draws. And we as Christians have to be the same. We have to show the world that a transition like this, a transformation in Marissa's life is what God wants for each one of us. But we have to show the world that we have to give them something better than what the world is handing out. Isn't that right? And so rather than these hormones and rather than mutilating surgeries and, and rather than all of this terminology about the different kinds that are out there, showing people what Jesus can do in somebody's life is much more compelling than beating them over the head with the Bible and calling someone an abomination and that they're going to burn in hell. Isn't that right? And so again, if Marissa would have had those surgeries, then she never would have been able to get married five years ago and to experience having not one but two children that she breastfeeds. Do you see the power and the transformation that God wants inside of our lives? Instead of taking away and destroying the beautiful gift that God gave us through creation, and let me go back just a little bit. I think I have, well, no, I really don't. All right, you're going to have to come back tomorrow afternoon because I'll talk about uh, the very main reason why we have this issue today in our world, and, and I'll describe that fully. But again, what you're looking at is... Marissa embracing who God made her to be and accepting that. And as she walked in the identity that Jesus gave her, she now got married a few years ago, and now she has two children that she's able to raise as their mother. And so I think that God is amazing and that he offers us something infinitely better. And honestly, if he didn't offer me something better than what I was living in 20 years in the gay culture, I wouldn't be standing here. I find it amazing that through my sexual addiction, through my addiction to pornography and all the things that I experienced in the gay culture, five significant relationships, I think it's amazing that I didn't die of AIDS because AIDS came out when I came out. And within 20 years of acting out as often as three times in a day with different men and as often as four times a week, there's no way that I should be standing in front of you. But I praise God that he has given me not only the ability to live without infection, 
but also to live without those addictions and those drives that followed me where I couldn't even go a week, and now it's been over 17 years since I have acted out in that lifestyle. Isn't God amazing? So as we close tonight, I want to challenge your thinking on the transgender issue. I want to give you some light about the situation that's going on in the world, but I want to encourage you, inspire you, and enlighten you with the fact that God still has the power to transform and change lives. Is that right? And if he can do that to someone like me, imagine what he wants to do in each one of our lives as well. Let's pray. I thank you, Lord, for the joy that it is to uh, proclaim the man that you created me to be. And Lord, there are many reasons why people struggle. There are many reasons why I didn't accept the masculinity that you gave to me as a precious gift. And Lord, there's still times when I feel inadequate. There's still times when I feel like I don't measure up. And Lord, what's so beautiful is that I don't need the accolades of the world to affirm who I am. The Lord, that your word tells me who I am. That Lord, even before the earth was formed, that you knew that I was to be a man. And while things got mixed up and while I was on a path, Lord, that that denied this precious gift, Lord, now I understand the blessing that it is. I pray, Father, for those that may be struggling. Maybe there's somebody listening today that is struggling with identity issues or same-sex attraction. Lord, help us as a church to be divinely compassionate. And that means we've got to be more, more compassionate than what the world can give them. Because, Lord, if we're allowing you to work through us, we can give that to them. Help us, Lord, to be, um, to be winsome, to show them who you are, Lord. And this is a process. This may take time. And it also challenges, Lord, our own prejudices about certain people and individuals. But, Lord, remind us that if you can save us, then, Lord, that you can save anybody. Help us, Lord, to find the humility that you're looking for in your Christian church today so that we could be a beacon of light and to call people, to draw people, Lord, into a relationship with you and then, Lord, to allow the Holy Spirit to make a transformation in their life. You're not asking us to convert the world, Lord. You're asking us to love the world and that through the truth, as we live the truth, Lord, to show them the compassion that only you can give to them. And I pray, Father, that you would help us uh, to make that decision, to make that commitment, Lord, um, to challenge our prejudices And Lord, to find compassion for those that we might find disturbing, disgusting, or confusing. Lord, may your kingdom be full is my prayer as we go through this weekend. And I pray, Lord, that for those that have questions, that that we will compile those questions together and answer them on Sunday. And um, I thank you, Lord, for what you're about to do for us this weekend. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.